The Word of God is the revelation of God and His work of salvation. This gives life to His people through His Spirit. At Covenant Grace Church, we are committed to making the Word of God and the Gospel it declares the focal point of our ministry. If you want more information about any of our ministries or have questions about anything you hear in this sermon, please email us at info at covenantgraceutah.org or visit our website at covenantgraceutah.org. Thank you for listening, and we pray that God uses His Word in your life to draw you closer to Him. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to spend a lot of our time tonight at the beginning and at the end in Zechariah chapter 3. When I was in high school, there was a place called Stump House Mountain. You understand that I grew up in the South. So Stump House Mountain, they were going to drill a tunnel for a train to go through. They didn't make it, so they stopped. But it's this attraction similar to Timpanogos Caves. You go there, you hike. But they've closed up the, the entrance with a steel door, and then there's a a little door that you can go in because what they want you to understand when you get to the back of this tunnel is how dark, dark really is. So he'd go all the way back, get to the very end, and he'd say, okay, if you're not comfortable, like, not seeing and might lose your balance, hold on to something, hold on to someone, whatever it was, and they shut all the lights off. And you could have stood there for a half hour, an hour, you never would have seen the hand in front of your face. Totally dark. But the amazing thing was, he brought with him a single candle. And he lit that candle, and he held it there, and it like lit up the whole room. You know, if you were to light a candle in here, what would happen? You'd never notice. You wouldn't see it, but we were like, whoa, you know, like, it's really, really bright. When we look at Good Friday, we would be remiss if we don't start with what the bad news is, right? When we stand in this dark tunnel, the only way to see the gloriousness of that light is to understand the darkness that we all live in. Zechariah chapter 3 says then Zechariah is a, is a prophet he's seeing this vision he says then he God showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him Satan's main job is to accuse People. Accuse them of what? Well, if you look down at the end of verse 3, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, the angel of the Lord, clothed with filthy garments. Satan rightly, accuse, uh, rightly accuses people because of sin. Now, <laughs> you say, we're in a Good Friday service, why are you talking about sin? Because we need to see the, the stark difference in, this, in, in the, the state that all of us are born into. 
It's not a popular topic to talk about. If you talk to people about sin, often the answer is, well, I'm not perfect, right? I make mistakes. But to really identify it as sin is something that's very difficult. Genesis 3, we see in in chapters 1 and 2, God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in this perfect garden, and he gives them a rule and says, that tree right there, don't eat of it. And he gives them the penalty for that sin. If you do eat of it, in that day you will surely die. Now there was trees all around the garden. They could walk with God. They could talk with God. But one day the serpent showed up. Satan showed up and tricked them. Tricked Eve and Adam rebelled against God and ate what God told him not to do. He did exactly what God said, do not do. And in that moment, Adam, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says that Adam was a representation of mankind, of all humanity. When Adam rebelled in that moment, when he said, God, I hear your commands, but I know what I want to do. I'm going to set myself up as God, and I'm going to listen to my own commands, and I'm going to do what I want. I will be the authority. You cannot tell me what to do. In that moment, Adam and that sin passed on all of humanity. We can get all sorts of stuff from our parents, right? Hair color, height. You know, if we're smart, you know, we got it from our parents. We get all sorts of stuff from our parents. One thing that all of us Receive from our parents, and if we're parents, we will pass on to our children, is this state of sin. It's the, it's the state of all humanity. Well, God's punishment for that sin that he said in the garden, he said, you will surely die. So why didn't they fall over dead? Well, he wasn't talking about a physical death. Although, had they not sinned, they would not have physically died. They would have stayed in the garden, and they would have lived there forever with God. But they did sin. And that death was a separation from God. You will live separated from me. So he drove them out of the garden, and he says, you're going to live, and there's going to be thorns, there's going to be pain in childbirth, but... He said to the serpent, what I love about what God, who God is, is he never leaves people without hope. He never leaves them without hope. Sin looked very hopeless. God is driving us away. How can we get back to God? How do we approach God? His standard is perfection. It's not good enough. It's not do your best and in the end it's all going to make up and and be okay. The standard is perfection to stand in the presence of God. All of us fall short. (laughs) All of us fall short. I fall short. We see here, Zechariah chapter 3, the high priest falls short. And he is rightly accused by Satan. And so when God explains the curse in the garden, 
He explains to the man, work is going to be hard. Work is really going to be hard. If you work a job, it's hard. If it's not hard, it's called a hobby. <laughs> right? Work is just hard. It's supposed to be. God said it was going to be. To the woman, he said, there's going to be pain in childbirth. Can't escape that. Okay? I've been there when three of my children were born. All three of my children were born. I only have three. <laughs> and it was, there was pain in childbirth. It's just the way it is. But then God spoke to the serpent and he said this. There is going to be offspring from the woman and you are going to be at war and we'll talk about that next. But you're going to be at war with him. And one day you are going to face off with one another. And in that battle you're going to bruise his heel but he is going to crush your head. There's going to be ultimate defeat that you are going to face. You can accuse people no longer. There is hope at the end. So even though there was a, a judgment of the curse that was coming, God from the beginning said, there is hope. And it's going to come by crushing your head. So we'll look at that next but what all this means is that throughout all of human history, two kingdoms have been at war. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. We are all born into, because of sin, born into the kingdom of Satan. And outside of the grace of God, we stay there. All right, kids, you've been putting up with this for a while. Right? You've been listening, it's, it's you know, a lot of reading, so I'm going I'm to walk through a story that you probably all know, and we're going to hear it from the perspective from Good Friday. Christus Victor. Christ is the victor. Right? He is victorious over sin. We just talked about sin and our condition and although this isn't a primary, like the most important reason why Jesus died, this is something that he did accomplish on the cross. So let's think. We talked about, we introduced two kingdoms, right? The kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God. They're fighting throughout world history, human history. And it comes down to this point where you've got David and you have Goliath. Now, the current king, David is a young man. Okay, he's a young man. The current king shouldn't be king. You say, why not? God anointed him. Yes, God did anoint him. But he shouldn't have been king. The reason is, God promised what? That the king would come from the tribe of Judah. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. So here is Satan's chance. Okay? If you've ever stood next to Austin, he's a big guy. If you've ever stood next to Darren, he's a big guy. I hug them like around their waist. <laughs> this guy was nothing. These two are nothing. Put him on his shoulders and you might get Goliath. Right? Huge. Gigantic person. And you've got 
13, 16-year-old David. Who's going to win? It's laughable. It's humorous. He's been standing in front of the armies, mocking their God, mocking the armies. How small are you? I can take all of you on. Mocking them. And what are they doing? Formulating a plan? Nope. Sitting back. Shaking in their boots. They're scared. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? David comes walking out onto the battlefield. And I can just imagine Satan saying, this is perfect. I've got my guy, and they have sent their guy. In fact, Goliath said very similar thing. He said, are you sending, who are you sending in front of me? I'm going to feed you to the dogs. I'm going to feed you to the birds. It was a child. Satan, uh, sorry, David's message was very different. David said this, 1 Samuel chapter 17, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. That's what you go to battle with. In front of him, he had a dedicated person carrying his shield. David continued, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off... Wait, what's Genesis 3.15 say? He said, I'm going to cut off your head. Remember, he's going to crush the serpent's head. And I will give it to the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel, and that all his assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. And what happened? Well, if you've sung the song, five little stones took only needed one of them. Why did he bring four? I don't know. But he only needed one, swings it around, slings it, and it hits him right in the head, and he falls over dead. And there was amazing victory that day. But the foreshadowing of what was coming, remember Genesis 3.15? The crushing of the head of the serpent. David goes and takes this sword of this giant that he just defeated took that sword and cut his head off picturing what was coming Jesus is victorious over the enemies on the cross now Satan thought he had won why? because Jesus is hanging on the cross and is going to die I'm not going to ruin Darren's thunder for Sunday But where does the crushing of the head happen? The penalty for sin is death. So when he rises from the dead, Satan is not dancing anymore. God has crushed him, the enemy. Colossians chapter 1 tells us, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. On the cross, Jesus conquered sin, Satan, and death. Those two kingdoms that we're fighting, although we still see them at war today, it's like a 
It's like a paper puppet. They're powerless. Satan doesn't have hold over this world anymore. Jesus on the cross has defeated him. The truth is, none of us can solve our own problem of sin. We need someone else. That's why Jesus, on behalf of all of mankind, paid the price. That's why David, in picture of Jesus, went to war and defeated the enemy, that giant. Christus Victor, Jesus truly is victorious on the cross over Satan, sin, and death. So what is the central point of what Jesus did on the cross? The central point is the atonement of Jesus. We call it, I'll give you some fancy words to show you that I read some books. It's called penal substitutionary atonement. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, just as, was, just as it was explained in the Garden of Eden. The payment for their sin was death because God is holy and completely different and set apart from us. He is full of wrath towards sinners. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, which means he took the wrath of God that justly should have gone to us and he took it on himself. Jesus took the wrath for us in our place as a substitute. In the Old Testament, I was reading a book last night It's interesting how it changed how I think through the order of things. Why was the Old Testament sacrificial system set up the way it was? Because Jesus was going to die in a certain way. And so the Old Testament was made to mirror what was coming. Well, what happened, what was explained in Leviticus chapter 16 is there were two goats. Every year on the Day of Atonement, two goats were brought in front of the high priest. These two goats represent a very important thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. The first one was the propitiation. You lay the hands on the head of the goat, on the body of the goat. He would confess the sins of the people and and the sins of the people would be transferred onto that sacrifice And then they would make a blood sacrifice of that goat. The other one is very important. The high priest would take another goat and lay its hands on this goat. He would confess the sins of the people. Then they would drive that goat out into the wilderness. Why? What is that representing? What it represents is when your sins are forgiven, they are gone. They're not coming back. They're not standing outside of your house, bleeding at you, reminding you what they are. They are gone. That's what Jesus accomplished 
on the cross. And instead of being done annually, they were done once for all. So what is that penal substitutionary atonement? Let's talk about those three things. The penal means it's a penalty. There's a penalty. You say, what's the penalty? Well, the wages, the payment for sin is death, right? That wrath of God, because we are sinners, because God is a holy God, we deserve punishment for our sins. So there's a penalty to be paid. Jesus paid that penalty. How could he do that? Well, in the Old Testament, the lamb, the goat, had to be perfect. There was a lamb that had to be chosen and it had to be perfect, without spot, without blemish. Why? Because Jesus was going to be that lamb of God that came and lived the life perfectly, the life that we couldn't live. We were supposed to. We weren't born sinners. We were born perfect in the garden. And then because of Adam, sin came on all people. Kayla read earlier from Isaiah 53, and it explains that next term. There's a penalty and then substitutionary, right? The substitute. Someone who takes the place of someone. We look at sports games or you look at education system, a teacher is a substitute teacher. We use this term, we know this term, that there's a substitute. Isaiah 53 says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3, 23 through 25 echoes the same passage when it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified... By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth, here's our word, as a propitiation. The wrath that should have come to us because of our sin went to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5.21 explains what, what happened. There's this great exchange that happened on the cross. This is why it's the central theme that we're going to focus on tonight. What happened was, there was an exchange that happened. Right? Isaiah says, he bore our iniquities, right? For, you know, our, his stripes, we are healed. He, he carries all of those things on himself. What happened on the cross is our sin went to Jesus. And his righteousness came to us. And if you are a Christian and believe these things, then that is what God has done for you. That is what God offers as a free gift to all people. It's open to all. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but will have eternal life. The gift is offered to everyone. And out of love for the sinner, God in Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. We don't have to bear it anymore. The wrath of God is covered because of the blood of Jesus. So what do we do with this accuser? Okay, We'll look at that last and then we'll be dismissed. So if your Bibles are still open, we're in Zechariah chapter 3. We're going to finish here. Remember Zechariah, justly accused. Why? Because in verse 3, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. So what is to be done? Imagine a courtroom, and here comes the prosecutor, and he's got this really, if if you're anything like me, a really thick file. And he walks in and he drops it on the judge's table. And he says, that person is guilty. Joshua was guilty. The high priest was guilty. What's to be done? The accuser is justly accusing sinners and the punishment is needed. Here's what happened. The angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. You know what Satan said? Nothing. There's nothing to say. The accusations are gone. Jesus takes that file and he doesn't just say, well, I'm just going to wipe it away, forget about this. No, what he does is he turns and he puts it on the cross and nails it there with his son and he pays for the sins of sinners who believe. That's why it's Good Friday. Because on that cross hung the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I plead with you, if you sit here, you hear this recording, and you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior, I plead with you. May this be the first Good Friday that you've lived, trusting in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, that he has done, that he has paid for us. So I would encourage you on Sunday, come back, celebrate with us in the morning, because that's the day that Jesus crushes the head of the serpent when he raises from the dead. So we thank you, Darren, you'll close in prayer.